This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome everyone to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow and to start out, I would like to thank our sponsor, Napa Auto Care. Since its relaunch in 2020, the Napa Auto Care member site has continued to evolve to keep members updated on all Napa programs, promotions, benefits, and other information available to help their businesses thrive. If you are a Napa Auto Care member, visit member.napaautocare.com to access the member portal. Not a Napa Auto Care Center? Contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store to learn more about how to join the Napa family. Today, I have the distinct honor of having a couple of really good friends on. One is a shop manager, do it all. I think if we listed everything he did, we'd spend the whole episode. Clean the toilet and chase the dog down the road. So I've got it pretty much covered. And if you don't recognize the voice, that's Brian Pollock. And my other guest is a YouTuber. Not a YouTuber. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that word. He is definitely not a YouTuber. He is one of the gems of this profession. I kid you not. Oh, that's why I come back, Matt. You always flatter me. <laughs> I know. He's so friendly. <laughs> Mr. Danner, to me, everyone else gets to call him Paul. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw the other day that your name is Paul. Actually, I saw it posted on the hey, Or Dan. Or Dan. <laughs> Caleb. Caleb was messing with me. Yeah. I thought your first name was Scanner. It's Scan. Scan? It's Scanner, but my friends call me Scan. <laughs> yeah, <some. laughs> oh my gosh. Paul, you don't have any uh, cold weather down there like I have up here, huh? Yeah, it's no, it's no today. Like oh, I was really? going to take a picture and post it too. Like, hey, winter finally visited Pittsburgh, PA. You know, it's just a beautiful snow. It was very short. Like nothing, it melted already on the ground, but I mean, it was beautiful. We had enough to get the snowmobile around and ride the kids around the yard and. Yeah, I saw that clip. That looked that looked cool. Your kid liked that. Oh yeah, she loves it. And it was nice too. It was uh, it was like in the mid 30s yesterday, so it was good to get out. Just go do. Yeah, it didn't even look like you guys were wearing coats, man. I was wearing I was wearing a hoodie, and I'm pretty sure she had her pajamas and like a a windbreaker on. (laughs) That was sweet. We're from the Great White North. This is one of the first years in a while where I think the snowmobiles would have struggled on the trails without the groomer. The snow is that deep. Yeah, we had a super light year. Our snowmobile trail, local. Now, the, the trail's goofy, cause, right? Because guys throttle jockey it and blow off the, all the snow off the trail. Our local trail, the marked portion maintained by the snowmobile club, has been open for eight hours this year. My boss went and bought a brand new sled, so that's how that's how that works, you know? Well, Brian brought us together. He had a topic he wanted us to... Brian's leading the show then tonight? Ooh, I don't know that alphabetical order so you're it do we want to go into that subject we can talk about the alphabet tech or the master tech i don't know about the the term i don't know about the title just in general or from like the ase perspective i think in general at one point in time i even maybe thought i was a master tech when you get put in the position where you're the person like the buck stops here And the amount of reading you have to do to fix the car. But that's what makes you a master. But if I mastered it, I wouldn't have to read it. You know how how to master the information that's in front of your face. Like maybe I would like to think I'm a master tech, but I literally had to look up if there was an adjustable 
push rod and a 2009 cobalt brake booster today. You know what I mean? I saw your test equipment. Yeah, they were like, they were like, well, how do we, how do we tell if that rod's wrong? I'm like, bring me the old booster. And I stuck my finger in the old booster and I marked my finger with a pen and I stuck my finger in the new booster and the new one was a quarter inch. The rod was a quarter inch further out. So that's why the brakes were locking up on that car. But the term master, I mean, wouldn't it imply that you just know the answer? Don't you feel like that? Or am I, am I missing this? Just by a million miles? It's just a word to me, Brian. Like it's cool to be, have a master tech patch from ASE, you know? Sure. But like, I've known master techs, ASE certified master techs that can't fix a sandwich. Me and another guy in, in the shop, and we're both master techs, and one of us follows flow charts and says, well, the flow chart says this, and the other one says, well, now we should probably use this as a guide. Mm-hmm. There's missing information here. Oh, I'm not yeah. saying that yeah. that makes me the master. I'm just saying the test and the name and the title doesn't doesn't really carry that much, to be honest with you. I mean, it does give you a baseline like matt says you know you yeah you can have someone with some credentials you, you at least know they can take a test and understand some of the material like information wise you know on a screen mm-hmm. that's important but it doesn't translate to hands i don't know what else they would have called it yeah ASE. i don't that's a tough one for me i believe matt you were responsible for writing some of those questions is that correct you were involved with the really easy ones those are mine well listen let, let me say this about ase in the test as an instructor who's given exams for 17 plus years, right? I understand how difficult it is to write a good question. One that makes you think, right? The last time I took the electrical ASE, I'm like, I'm just going to fly through this. I'm not even going to think much about the questions because I know the subject. Mm-hmm. I just want to be done. I want to go home. Right. I don't want to be here. Right. And the test the test forced me to analyze each question. That's a test question that I only wish that I had for my own students. So I will say that about how well they are written. Some people would take issue with that, but I, I'm telling you, like I was like, holy crap, this is these are really, really good questions. I want to be able to be honestly, reasonably critical and yet still be very supportive of what they do. Me personally, that's everybody else. Totally entitled to your ideas and thoughts because I think they all hold water uh, for sure. And I find most of them very logical. The thing is, is here you have a series of exams where you need to get, you know, whatever it is, 70% of the questions correct to earn that credential. And if you get eight or nine of them, you get a piece of paper showing up that says you are now an ASE certified master. And I don't know what else they would call it. In a way, it's a bad title. Okay, if that's so bad, what would you call it? And then we all throw our hands in the air and say, I don't know what to call it. If you pass, you have met the minimum standard of competency, if you will, for that area of repair as set by members of the profession. So ASC doesn't come up with this th- the threshold. It's a group of our peers from the independent world, the dealer world, the OE world, you know, the manufacturer world, the parts manufacturers, like a representative from uh, Standard Motor Products like Ryan Coyman will be there. They're setting the threshold and the difficulty. What do you have to do to earn their credential? And generally, it doesn't help very much to make the questions or the test that much harder. 
for some of us that want that title to mean something, master tech to hold some sort of weight, we want that question to be really hard. And the thing is, is even if you breeze through that electrical test, I think it's ASICs, you just breeze through it. Understand that you guys are both, I mean, I'm not trying to kiss butt or anything like that, very, very competent when it comes to electricity. Most don't. So the pass rate is lower than you would probably think. So breezing through it, yeah, you breeze through it. Why? Because you probably should have. I mean, a lot of those questions, you're going to find breather questions trip others up. The test is still doing its job. It's just, in a way, give yourself a little little bit of credit. Like, okay, like I, I kind of know my stuff then. I'm like, Brian, that term master tech, not even the ASE version, I struggle with because I started thinking of master techs. I'm thinking of guys like Brian. I'm thinking of guys like Chris Hammond. I'm thinking about guys like Scott Manna, where they walk over to that board and whatever's there, they pull the ticket and they go do it and they go do it really, really well. And they go do it on every make, every model. Chris Hammond works on freaking boats. The only holdup on boats is actually service information. <laughs> My boss had a crank no start. He's got a, he's got a beautiful fountain sport cruiser and it's got a 502 in it and it was a crank no start and uh, him and I were able to take a test light and a power probe and in 20 minutes we were able to figure out that the contacts and the fuel pump relay were bad you know boats are actually surprisingly simple to work on to be quite honest our technology 30 years ago is what is in a boat now I'm saying inboard outboard technology obviously outboard engines are alien now those are insane i think you make a lot of good points matt about how you know maybe the testing's a little bit different for everybody and that's the trouble with paper tests there are people out there who are extremely skilled i mean like have more skill in their pinky than i have in my whole body that might struggle taking that test i guess my problem is with masters not just ase uses it but you know almost all the manufacturers have a mastery level for their technicians, right? I mean, I guess I'm not sure about Kia or Hyundai, but I'm I'm pretty sure everybody else has a mastery level. So there's so many sets of standards out there, right? I think Hyundai Kia, if they can swap an engine, two engines a day, they're a master. It pays like 6.8 hours to do a short block. That's the reason toolboxes have wheels right there. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I think that's the part I struggle with is the is, is so many people are using the word to describe so many different certifications. And I'm the same way as you. I don't want to come up rough on ASE because they were they were one of the first. It's not like they came late to the party and started throwing the term master around, right? Like they were probably the ones in the aftermarket that pioneered using, you know, where they were the first ones to use it. And then, you know, um, you know, like iCar came in and used it. And I just don't think it equates enough to so many skilled hands out there to just take this test and you know use that to set the bar for mastery level it's kind of like you hinted at it's like okay well what do we what do we call it if we're not going to call passing their eight tests mastery automotive repair level then what do we even call it right isn't these titles we're talking about really ultimately about being able to show the customer where they want to take their cars we want to be able to hang something in front of our shop that says, sure. hey, you have a better chance coming here with that difficult diagnostic mm-hmm. problem than you would at a shop that 
you know, doesn't have, doesn't have the blue seal, whatever credential it is you're, you're hanging out there. So, I mean, honestly, as I'm trying to guide a lot of customers to garages that I can say, Hey, they, these guys do what I do. And your chance of getting this thing fixed are, are much higher. If I send you to Brian's garage or Matt's garage, like I do that in a heartbeat without even thinking about it. Somebody's near you guys. I'm sending them your way. We just need something in this field that kind of shows that better than ASE does. I, not a knock with the sign, but it's more than that. It's it's a piece of it, but it's it's more than that. And, you know, talking with Jeff Compton, we should have him on here right now talking about this too. Like as far as licensing and how that went, if you want to invite other people to get you licensed, how that how that goes in Canada didn't fix their system. Yeah, I think either to get lure customers in or not lure like nefariously, but have them choose you over someone else. Or I suppose uh, if you're looking for a job that you get the job over somebody that isn't. Those would be the two big scenarios. And I think the first one's the larger of the two. What we need is some sort of practical exam, some sort of actual competency test where people are going to use their hands. Might have somebody drive around with a bugged car and see if you can fix it. Well, and you do, and you and you get a passing grade. I'll, I'll give you an example. <laughs> my my wife has a FAA airframe and power plant repair license. She didn't just take a paper test. She had to drive yeah. three hours away from here to an airport, yeah. and for eight hours, she had somebody proctor an exam where she did different maintenance services on actual aircraft. Yeah. I think about that and I think about the number of cars in the US versus the number of planes and what what an undertaking that would be to try to regulate oh, yeah, and like huge. And I I don't even like the word regulate cuz right do you really even want to deal with Do we it? want our government yeah, involved? Yeah, do you really no. not? No. It's like it almost no. needs to be like just flat no. Yeah. 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 Yeah, just flat no. Like I, I have all these ideas on how to fix it, but they're they're just ideas that aren't even like you can't like there's no way that we can proctor an exam to I don't know what how many technicians are there in the US right now? Uh, is there six hundred thousand? I, I don't I don't know the number. And what constitutes a technician that's gotta pass the test? Does the kid change an oil at Walmart have to pass the test? That was my dream at one point in time. I was like, you know what to fix this whole thing? If people actually had to take their hands and fix a car. Like, and if you can't do that, you can't go buy tools and you can't touch the car. Right. I was like, that'll, that'll fix this. But I don't know. Does it really fix it? Plus people are always going to find workarounds, right? How many, how many workarounds do you and I deal with on our daily basis, Matt? I mean, every day to do something. Cause we don't have this tool or we don't have this or we don't have that. You know, it's, it's every single day we're doing the same exact thing people would be doing you know, working around the uh, uh, normal channels to get something fixed due to, you know, not having $8 billion for tooling, right? Hey, according to the Google, there's 629,000 uh, employed uh, technicians in the in the United States. I'm a good guesser, aren't I? The U.S. number. That's like my only actual skill is I can guess goofy numbers close. Why weren't you at Bimmer's then? Bimmer's was in Las Vegas. We could hit the casino. You could have guessed. Oh, the I can't win any money. I'm not good at hey, that. In my calculations, that means there's 566,000 parts changers out there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're, you might be a little optimistic. That means there's about 65,000 technicians like the three of us out there. I don't know, man. You want to hop in my truck and ride down to the next seven shops up the road? 
it gets a little scary. Like I said, well, the numbers is one in 10. I always said one in 10 as an instructor mm-hmm. in a class of 10. If I could work with one student, I was happy. That was the ratio. Sometimes I'd get two out of 10. Sometimes it was 20%, but that was the ratio over the 17 years of teaching. So it's not just a number I'm making up. It's a number I saw in the classroom and I, I'm just, you know, I see mm-hmm. this all over the world and it, I don't see it being any different. And, and right, I want right. to say again, it doesn't make me more intelligent. I don't want it to come off like that. Mm-hmm. There's a certain way that I truly believe that some of our brains are wired that other people's aren't. It's a variable. It's like being able to handle a whole bunch of variables and thriving in it mm-hmm. and, and enjoying it. And I think that's the key. It's like that enjoying part of that part of your brain. And that's why I mean, we're not all wired for it. Some of us can do it, but we hate it while we're there. We literally, there's nothing you could do to make us like it. It's horrible. We hate it. It's not comfortable for <laughs> our minds. And there are some of us that really, really enjoy it. And that's why I believe the ratio is so low. Right. So it's not an intelligence factor. It's like, I, I, it's, it's like something you're born with. I really believe that. It's a thought process that works well for what I do um, at work. That same thought process really doesn't work that great at home or anywhere else. So you have to. Oh yeah, for sure. Turn. Tell me you have to. You have to like. Yeah, turn that thing off. Turn man. That Stop thing analyzing. Off. Yeah. A. Stop okay. analyzing. B. Not everything's <laughs> yeah. a race. And C. You know, there's a couple we girls in the house. So not everything yeah. can be fixed we, with logic. That's right. We we see a problem, we attack it right away. We have we have like all these X, Y, and Z like. This is the result of this yeah. path and this path and this path. And here's what you want to do. And it, I agree with you. That does not work. At, no, it doesn't work, work at home. home. I even worry your number's too high. Okay. I was feeling bad with like saying that. But I'm worried about it. I am too, Matt. But we need people that can hang parts. You know, we still do. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't want this to come off like a, as a superiority type thing, a mental state. Because there's things that some of these guys do under car. There is no way I could do it. There's no way I could do it. I, I've, I've seen some welds that I'm like, dude, that's amazing. Or like fabrication and the way they think and do things. And there's an art form to it that everyone is skilled differently. And I, that's another area too. And we're kind of going off the trail here, but like in this field on what a master is, right? Yeah. A master of not include in mastery. For me, I'm just the electrical guy. Everything else, I am yeah. not the master. Watch me do a brake job. I'm yeah. Not the it master. took me a while to master taking a you know Ford exhaust manifold off with just a torch and no other tools. For decades though, those are the techs that are paying the bills. Oh absolutely. They're the ones producing. There's n- absolutely no condescension or anything towards that, but they get set up to fail when they're given uh, a diagnostic challenge. Do you think the diagnostic jobs, there'd be more people maybe interested if they could stop thinking about the money for a second that they're making with flat rate? You know, I mean, guys are turning, you know, making $33 an hour, but they're turning 140% or 240%. So they're in the, they're in the 70 some dollar an hour range is what they're making. We need to be, billing more for these guys to to be able to say yeah i'll I'll take that job on and Mm -hmm. you're gonna leave me alone for you know three hours and and i'm gonna make that money you know then that's what needs to happen in my opinion i I know that's not really the subject here but i think that would get more of the people involved that are maybe parts changers right now 
there's no incentive for them to yeah come to the other side. I think there's still a bunch of guys out there where that where that is the exact issue, Paul. We have a bunch of younger guys that work at our shop. I am the technician on the floor in all of our buildings. I am the second oldest at 36 years old. Um, there's only one guy working in three shops that we have that's older than me working on cars. And the old guy at 36. I'm the awesome. old guy at 36. So what I can tell you about these young guys, they're not as motivated by money as I was at their age, which isn't like a negative. It's just a generational difference. I don't know. It's probably better, quite honestly, because, you know, greed, greed isn't that great. Anyhow, what I, what I wonder, because I just went through this, I just went through this trying to put a truck full of guys together to go to training. And the amount of people I had on my list and what order I had them and like where I ended up taking people was far off of where I started asking. Was I like super fortunate to get in when I did, you know, in the early 2000s where cars were complicated enough where I realized that, holy moly, I better learn something or else this is not going to be good for me. Is it just overwhelming now? The thought of fixing some of these systems on these cars, like, is it just easier Dude, long, because I worked on, you know, because I realize it's all the same because I learned about all that stuff. But like, I'll go all over the place, all over the internet and say 12 volts is 12 volts, whether it's on your John Deere tractor or your Chevy Cavalier or whatever you're working on. I don't know. Is it overwhelming for some of these young guys? Is that why we can't get them to do that? I, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be getting into it right now. I can tell you that. What a steeper learning curve than I had to deal with, you know? I don't think so, though, Brian. Don't I think, I so? think these young these young kids come in. We're we're seeing a new generation. It's not the generation where you grew up working on your car with your dad in the driveway, and right. then you go to school for it. it. You're talking about a generation that's been plugged into technology from like day one, almost. You yeah, know, in their lives. that's true. And and for this is what I hear from the school now. The student body is. And I'm not there the day to day. So I just I, I get to hear what they say. And it's it's different. It's exactly that. The student population is totally different than it was even five years ago. Really? You know, the students that come in now, they're very tech savvy with the computer, with phones, with, you know, looking up information. They're really good at it. But you have to teach them lefty, loosey, righty, tighty. Like they right. never right. literally never turned a <laughs> never. bolt. Never take different. The out. Yeah. different. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, you know, that might be a good thing down the road if you can if you can guide those minds the right way and teach them that. So I don't know. Who who knows what's gonna happen with the the next, you know, even even five, ten years mm-hmm. with these kids. I see that and I see the need for instant gratification. So I referenced this once before, but I noticed there's a video game that my kid and I would play separately uh, called Portal 2. If you don't play video games, it's a freaking phenomenal game. Maybe one of the best ever made, but it's a puzzle game. There's no threat of, you know, you're not shooting each other people or, you know, quote unquote dying or anything like that. It's strictly a puzzle game. I don't give up to pass whatever board. I think about it. I explore whatever it is to figure out how to get past this board. And when I get done, it's awesome. And then I move on to the next. My kid will spend five, 10 minutes messing around. Can't figure it out. Google it. Pass the board. And it's the celebration of passing the board as if it was figured out completely by themselves. By himself. 
And I just, I see a lot of that with a, with a lot of the younger people is they want to plug the scan tool in or they want to hear the noise, look for something very obvious with a flashlight, not see it, go over, Google it, or uh, use some other, other database diagnostic tool, pick everyone, whatever your favorite one is. Matt, what a great example that, that you just gave, because I never thought about it from a detrimental standpoint of you wanting to figure it out on your own. I think we all us older heads kind of have that in, in us. Like the last thing I want to do is Google search what the yeah, problem is. Yeah, no I, I, want, yeah, no I want to find this problem because I know if I follow my fundamentals, it'll take me there. But how much is that maybe a detriment sometimes if I would just add that mindset to a quick search and then come back to it? You know, just I, I would just pointing that out with what Matt was saying. They want to go to Google or their favorite database diagnostic tool and get the instant probability. You know, oh, yeah, the noise is probably coming from the the one pulley. Okay. And, and don't even go look at the car and just walk over to the parts desk or the service advisor and say, I need this pulley. Okay, that's not good. I was talking about using it to our advantage, you know what I mean? But what do you do when that's not the fix? Or what do you do when when they're not doing any work at all and they're just doing that? Like that's, that's, uh, that's not I've been through that with good. some guys. The struggle bus is complete pain to them where I think, you know, I have plenty of rides left on the struggle bus and I don't necessarily look forward to them. But at some point, especially when I start feeling like I'm gaining ground, there's a certain like appreciation to the process or the the path to the answer. The understanding of the service info or there's an appreciation for the journey. It's also knowing how to use your equipment. And that's mm-hmm. the key. I think if you can combine the Google search mentality, which is stupid to not use it, if you're fixing cars, it's stupid to not use it. It's, it's your ego that gets in, in your way of not using sure. it. But if you can master that with the hands-on and you know how to use your equipment mm-hmm. and you can like use that as a guide... Oh my goodness. Like I would have killed for that when I was started out. Right. I had to go in the I had to go in the bathroom and read like the snap on troubleshooter while I was taking a dump to figure out this like Ford Escort that had this lean condition and a oh, that yeah. broken vacuum hose on the back of the valve cover. You know, like I literally was reading a manual. I have, like I they, have these that, kids have no idea how, how I have that troubleshooter book in the bottom drawer of this desk, I'm pretty sure. The one that's like three inches yeah. thick. That was a lot to carry. I just showed my age right there. Too. Yeah. <laughs> The brick was too hard to take in the bathroom. You had to hold the button down if you didn't have it plugged into the car. So. Oh, dude, that troubleshooter book was my Bible in the bathroom. I'd read that thing all the time, especially if it was a car I was working on. I read every page on that car. I think that there probably is a lack of appreciation for the actual journey. Everybody just wants to get that answer, you know. I had a Toyota, an 07 RAV4 EVAP leak today, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure this tank's got to come down. Smoke machines don't work with leaks on top of a tank ever. I had to go over in our parts area and I had to rob some little caps that they use to cover like ports on power steering racks. And I had to ice manually isolate the tank and run the EVAP test and watch it run the monitor and pass. So I knew I could tell the customer to take the tank down instead of going on Identifix, which probably doesn't say anything about a tank. It probably says replace gas cap or something, I'm sure. I have a relatively good understanding of Toyota EVAP systems and how that test works with the vacuum pump. But I'll tell you what, after looking at that car for 25 minutes, figuring out what ports off the canister go where, 
now I have a absolute understanding of that car, which I wouldn't have gotten if I use database diagnostics, right? Like, I, yeah. it wouldn't have happened. It's going to help you on the next one. Yeah. It'll help you on the next one. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm like, oh. And that's, okay. wh- yeah. and that's where you read the database diagnostics and you say, nope, that does not apply to my situation because you recognize it. I mean, that's that's combining both skills together. That mm-hmm. That's what's needed. That's what's needed. Unfortunately, yeah. we have the Google searching crowd that doesn't do any more than that. And there's your 50% fix rate on the on the diagnostics. Yeah, yeah. But they're fine with that. They're fine with that. Yeah. Well, just, that part didn't work, so we'll we'll throw this part at it, and the customer pays for it. And and I think if, the customer gives me gives me all kind of crap because I'm saying you need to pay us for diagnostic fees, but they're right. fine with the the you have former. To, you got to charge. You got to charge. You can't afford not to. You can literally bolt pads and rotors on the next bay over, and if you're not getting two fifty an hour to do diagnostics, you're losing money. If we're going to charge the rates that we're talking about charging for doing the proper method, customers need to know where we are. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Then you can put your master name to it. I'd put a master next to both of you hands down for sure. I don't know. I'm, I've mastered doesn't mean that you're, ordering doesn't mean that you're that you've mastered like that particular model and everything about it, but you've mastered the information in front of you, how to attack a problem, how to replace the correct part the first time. When it leaves, it's the first part you changed. It is correct, mm-hmm. like ninety-eight percent of the time. Yeah. So you missed two out of a hundred. Where do we send customers for that, Brian? Where do they go? Yeah. Because it doesn't exist. It does exist, but how do we find yeah. each other and put our freaking <laughs> plaque out front? Yeah. It's a, yeah. 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 That's true. <laughs> I'm gonna have to have like Master Tech Olympics, <laughs> so we can all get. <laughs> Not we. I should. I say like we. the idea of hands-on, like you mentioned, for your wife. You know, having the FAA thing, and I had to do that when I started teaching. I was going to go high school level first, and they made me do an ASE style test, like on paper, and then I had to go in the shop with two other like moderators for the whole day, and I did all kind of stuff in the shop to prove that you know I knew what I was doing Our, before they'd even consider letting me my, in the classroom. Uh, my the high school technical center I went through was uh, so far behind that you and I probably set the timing on the same Oldsmobile 307. But anyways, that was my hands-on. For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa AutoTech training available near you. Napa AutoTech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor's skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your text to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa Auto Tech Training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. 
Much of Napa Autotech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa Autotech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa Autotech offers, contact NapaAutotech.com. I was just thinking if there's a half a million Autotechs out there of ranging positions, a tick under 200,000 of them are ASC certified for something on, I don't know, A1 through A9. That's the number 200,000, Matt. That's pretty awesome, actually, if you think about it. That's one third, which would make them probably the largest standardized body in the industry, right? If you- So ASC, if they're listening, they should set up what we're talking about. Get some kind of hands-on type thing where we can send these guys to you and have them certified, then we can hang this different badge in front of their shop. Different one, not blue seal, a gold seal. Just, I mean, something. platinum. We need we need a hands-on one. You'd be able to tell right away. Like a mean one take, too. Like cut, from the cut one of the legs the, off of a fuse type mean. It needs to be some <laughs> simple stuff too, like a faulty spark plug, a faulty ignition coil, or faulty injector. Like a lot of these guys, they can't even do that. Uh, yeah. Let alone I've a voltage it. drop to a starter motor, you know, a bad yep. starter motor cable with a you know corrosion on the heavy cable. Yeah, I just had need, one today. Need a starter or not? Like yeah. these are the things that people miss because they're not using their meters. Yeah, I I just did that today with one of our young guys, Paul, on a Ram plow truck, and got on the stud on the starter just like you said. Said and you know, had somebody in there cranking it. It was down to like five point two volts at the stud on a, on a regular fluke multimeter, no scope, yeah. nothing fancy. Regular yeah. fluke multimeter set to min max drops to five point two or something. And I assume like battery voltage was good, so you had this mint. huge drop. Yeah. Yep. Mint. I said, see that? I told him because we were going to do some checks at the starter, and I said, okay. I said, see that? See that corrosion and see that black burning around that nut? I said, we're going to voltage drop test the starter. You're going to learn something today. Even on a car that's not bugged, like show me how you would voltage drop test this, right? Because that's just as important as finding the bad circuit is knowing the good ones sometimes, right? Well, sometimes you need the baseline. Yeah, absolutely. You have, to, you have to care first and to care first. Yeah. There has to be incentive in front of you where you're watching these guys doing these. I've been saying this. I've been preaching this lately, doing these ball joints and brake jobs and different, you know, R&R type stuff. And they're killing it, man. They're oh, yeah. Bank. They're making bank. What's their incentive to to come over to the dark side? It's, it's not there. It doesn't exist. No, you're right. And honestly, I, I didn't realize this before. It was really I have to give props where it's due. It's Lucas Underwood, David Roman. And, and honestly, it was a perfect storm with my brother having his shop now and me watching the process. I'm, I'm not just cheering for someone else here. Mm-hmm. Like I'm cheering for my brother. I see it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see it before like that. I want to say one thing, though, because this is something that I haven't been able to is for those even in the pay structure we're currently in, you can carve a path for yourself if you want this. You can right now. You, you don't need the industry to totally change no. to walk the path. You just need to be happy with your 40 hours, whatever your pay scale is. Yeah. Like I turned probably average 50 hours flat rate 
because and there was other guys in my shop that would average 70, 80 for the week. I didn't care. I didn't care because I was doing the work I wanted to do yep. and I was done and I wanted to go home afterward. It was always making the most I could for the least amount of time. So maybe it was because I was never super hungry for money, but I paid the bills. Mm-hmm. The path is there. You have to want it though. Yeah. But I think the industry needs to change. I really do incentivize that guy more than what we are. Sure. We, we need to attract that type of person into this and they exist in our field now they're just not being paid right to get them over and you know where it all starts it all starts with what you've talked about you you have to you have to charge right like the shop owner doesn't have a money tree the front counter is gonna have to you know not be chicken about it and they're gonna have to say we got this is what we got to charge to get through this thing but if the front counter can guarantee it i think that's the key and i think you said that to me brian it's like i don't think that's a word me and my brother are using is this guarantee like it's going to be fixed and i think oh yeah it's going to be you fixed. Can guarantee it no no to be clear you put a fuel pump in a car you're not pulling that fuel pump back out if it was the wrong call you're you're just saying you're going to eat that call and mm-hmm. i think i'm okay with that but i don't think you should eat the diagnostic work i don't i you fix it then you bill for your time and you don't charge for that first part that's really that's really what sure. to me that would be the perfect way to to do it. I, sure, I don't know, I, but I, I think, think that'll drive some people nuts. The idea of not billing, but the guarantee, part, but if you could say that, Brian, yeah, if you, you could to. say that, like you said, you guarantee that and you're charging that rate, then what do you, you know, the customer's going to have yeah. peace of mind with that. I, I would think. Yeah. I, I told, you know, I've, I've like, who does that? Who guarantees I've told the stories their, multiple like, times on certain cars that have been to other places and they're not fixed or they've already been worked on. I've had multiple ones in since the first year where we started this thing. And it's like, you get the car in the door for your regular diagnostic fee. You look it over, you look at how many systems are screwed up from somebody else messing around with BMWs for the fact that they leak like crazy. You look the car over And you look at how long is it going to take you to get the right answer in each of those systems? How exhaustive, you know, right to the end with that testing. And it's, you say, hey, listen, here's the deal. I can fix your BMW that it hasn't cranked in six months and has been towed out of two shops. It's going to be probably $4,500 by the time we're done. Are you okay with that? And they say yes, and you start working at it. You know, and you don't call the customer back every hour to get more time and all that stuff. You just, you know, and it's not always that much. That was an extreme case. That was a car that was extremely thrashed. I had a Ford Fusion recently where somebody put a battery and a starter in there and there was some wires that they had tied into the ignition switch and they were trying to jump power around and everything else. And I was like, okay, I looked at it for a while. I go, okay, so I got to straighten this out. I got to find out why this isn't happening under the hood. I got to find out why the PCM won't run this relay. Thousand bucks. You know what I mean? And we worked on it for three, four hours and got a used PCM and put in there and a thousand bucks and they were, the car was fixed, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's about, that's the way it should be. That's it's the way about, it should be, Brian. But here's the key. Like as you're talking to, as everybody else is listening and salivating on how we're like, oh, you got to charge like $500 for me to even look at your car or whatever. You got to be right. Oh yeah, you, you can't. Yeah, you have to you be right. Be, you can't be Google searching, uh, being like, "Well, this is what Google said, and I'm going to change this part," and that doesn't fix it. And, and, and then that. on top of that, they you're charging that. the That's kind of diagnostic done. fees yeah. that That's we're talking about. Yeah, <clears throat> no. We like to mess around with that 
the the diagnostic fee or the how we charge for that. Here's an example, and it'll sound like I'm putting myself over. I, I'm not. I think anybody that's been doing this for a while or hit some training classes or subscribes to Scanner Danner would have done the same thing. I believe it was a 2007 Chevy Silverado 5.3 liter. It's got three separate complaints. Check engine lights on, SRS lights on, uh, airbag light, and it has a false ABS activation coming up to stop signs uh, or during slow turns uh, when you're touching the brake. All three issues diagnosed, I mean, collectively, 20 minutes. Left front wheel speed sensor, you could tell it had to be the sensor or the uh, air gap. So corrosion could have built up between the sensor and the uh, reluctor, but we know what the, the repair is going to be. Left front wheel speed sensor, you could see on a scan tool, just drive, you know, two, three miles an hour. The other three wheels are right, really in this one, it was the right front wheel and then the rear axle, you know, the sensors in the diff. Those would all jump up to three left front would stay at zero. And then you just kind of get going a little bit faster and a little bit faster. The, uh, you know, the right and the rear would jump up four or five, six miles an hour. Left front might still be zero. And then all of a sudden she surges up, starts slowing back down, drops to zero. The others are still reading and you can steer and whatever you want. You don't get any jumping around to the wheel speed or the speed uh, on the scan tool. So probably not a harness, most likely uh, it's going to be the sensor or that air gap. The other thing is the uh, check engine light was on for a um, oxygen sensor. I think it's, it's a P0133, if I remember right. And you could watch it on the scan tool. One side is toggling. You stab the throttle. Nothing happens. Uh, or it's very little. On a Chevrolet, I'll go one one minor step above parts changer and pull the vacuum hose off the brake booster and watch the response of them. And yeah, compare yeah. them all to each other, but that's the as far as I'm going. You're the man, Brian. <laughs> but you'd stab the throttle, and you could get it to kind of act a little bit. It clearly needs a. I think it was a bank one sensor, one um, oxygen sensor, and then still kind of verify it. But you already know SRS light or airbag light on a Chevy Silverado what it's going to be. One or both of uh, the crash sensors underneath the radiator. They all go bad. You know, just one step further, raise it up on a hoist. Luckily, these weren't too bad to access. Stick a resistor in there to trick it. Code goes away. Now I know the sensors are bad. This is all diagnosed, all three issues and under a rough, we'll just say under an hour, but definitely close to maybe half an hour, 20 minutes. Very, very short test drive up on a hoist. My argument was there should be three separate charges. I'm not saying the full-blown diagnostic fee, although maybe you could make that argument, but I don't know that you'd just, well, since you figured it out so fast, we're only going to charge once. Because you not. you have to be consistent. And we're literally talking about trying to incentivize guys enough to be bothered with learning. So that's great that you figured it out that fast or Paul figured it out that fast or I figured it out that fast. It makes no sense, right? Like, it makes no sense not to charge for it because... The next time, Matt, maybe you don't get that. And maybe one of your guys at the shop gets that who wants to learn this stuff, right? Who wants to expand his knowledge on these types of problems. Well, what are you going to do? Only only charge an hour for it when it's going to take him, 
you know, say he, say he does pretty well with it. And for very little experience on those things, say he works through it in two hours. I'm just over like how fast people do stuff or how slow people do stuff. You know what I mean? It's just like, what is the value of the job? Well, if they brought that truck in, if those three things happened at three separate times, what would have happened? Three diagnostic charges. You have an O2 code. Yeah, yeah. They you did, yeah. You're ABS right. code, and you have and you have an uh, airbag code. They've had yeah. the airbag light for a long time, and then the check engine light came on, and that's been there for a while. It didn't run so bad because it was a slow response, like downstream O2, so no drivability issues. So they've been driving that for a year, and then 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 it now develops an ABS problem where yeah. that's why they brought it in. Yeah. Now they have a yeah. Now it's time for it. state inspection, and, and you're supposed to do all of that under one. Nope. Yeah. Or I even for so. one. No. no. No way. I don't no think way. so. The only thing you could consider is it's the same scan tool, same shop, and same rack, and you had to put it up on the rack, three separate charges. So you could you can discount the other two for sure. That absolutely discount them, but those are absolutely three one hundred percent separate systems. Yeah. If you have a brake failure and then you have a tie rod end that's faulty and you need an alignment, those are all separate charges. It's not a discount because it's already in and you're getting a discount on your alignment because you're getting a tie rod put in. Why, yeah. why are we applying yeah, that? You, to, don't, you don't discount the tie rod no. labor because you're doing you know how much breaks. time, Matt, it <laughs> took you to be able to look at that data on the scan tool and say in 20 minutes that, that these are absolutely my problems and be able to put your name next to it and guarantee that that's the fix. Mm-hmm. No freaking way, dude. You paid your dues to do that. Not to mention the ABS fault. When you get down there, you still have an air gap issue that it might be. You might change the sensor and you can't see the damn tone ring that's down inside the hub and it becomes a problem for you. You know how quick he nope. did that job is not relevant yeah. to the situation. Yeah, what's Text relevant two is hours on that job before talking flat rate, in my opinion. Yep, absolutely. I don't care that it was tested out and proven. Well, if out we're talking flat minutes. rate and the whole system's broken, like you're getting I used to get 1.2 hours when I worked for for pet boys in the aftermarket for diagnostic work. I got 1.2 hours. So I would get 1.2 for that original ABS fault. We would not, even back then, even in 96, like when I worked there, we we would not include the check engine light for that same diagnostic. It, it would be totally a separate charge. Right. And I would I would not touch it if they didn't. I have an ABS fault and a check yeah. engine light. They're two completely separate systems. Yeah. And then as a, a shop owner, you're essentially a government. You're you got your miniature government. You're in charge of redistribution of funds. Of course, some of that redistribution should be going into a technician's pocket. How did I figure that all out like I did? Well, it's many, many hours sitting up into the wee hours on IATN. It's many, many hours sitting on uh, my computer watching scanner danner videos. It's hours and hours and hours of reading in thousands and thousands of dollars out of my pocket, the shop's pocket to go to vision, to go to ASTE, to STX, name your favorite uh, uh, training provider or, you know, whether it's a big expo or just the once a month classes, how many hours sitting in front of John Thornton uh, in the classroom uh, and now online, that's how it happened. And experience, so like how many cars did I get my butt kicked? Time out. As you're talking, and I'm thinking back to Pep Boys when I work flat rate, that would have been three hours for me, Matt. 
for what you just described, or I wouldn't have wanted to do, to do the job. I would have whined if they paid me too and still would have done it. <laughs> I would have absolutely, absolutely said, listen, man, I want three hours for this oh job. And they gosh. would have paid it to me. They would have paid it to me. You know why they would have paid it to me? Because I had a damn good service writer. And he knew when I made that call, all three of those would be right. And none of those lights were coming back on. So they had no problem selling it. Mm-hmm. Dude, that was 96. Uh, I worked at a couple chain stores. I, there ain't no way. I mean, I used to call the service writer out and have him watch me tell the wipers to jump when they wouldn't put labor on wipers. You know what I mean? Like, there ain't no way. I'd be like, come on, jump on the car. You know, when they put no labor on wipers, you know? Yeah, there ain't no way I'd be working on that for under two hours. No way. Well, I mean, it, I mean, ultimately, we're talking about this to help garage owners, too. So I'm, I'm thinking of my brother, right? And how he would maybe bill for a job like that. I, I, he would probably not bill for what we're talking about. And I just think he should be. I, I think not, he, that, if you have not that long guy, ago, our shop wouldn't have either, Paul. Well, if you have a guy that's fixing them and you don't have to worry about it, you're talking about these systems and, and you have an expert on the job, you should be charging that way. That way you can afford to pay the expert and he stays with you. So you got to be as a shop owner, like forward thinking in the, yeah. in these, in these conditions. Cause you're, you're kind of conditioned to you looking out for the customer and, oh, you know, she might be this or that, or, you know, whatever circumstances the customer I, and, and that's I admirable. Agree. It's such an admirable quality sure. and, and you can't great. deny it. The problem is you're not thinking about what you could be doing with that money, which you need to pay that technician to help you so you can help more people. That's not happening. Yeah. And the industry wide, it's not happening. Yep. And you, you got to pay have your money. guys, pay your guys so they can take care of the, the really difficult diagnostic jobs, get them off flat rate, pay them a damn good salary, and your garage is going to be successful if, if yep. you're billing properly Absolutely. for it. And that's what we're talking about right here. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. It's not about money in, in, in Matt's pocket alone or money in my pocket. The garage owner should be listening. Charge for this stuff. Pay the damn technician so you can afford to take the day off and be with your family as the garage owner. Yeah. And I think you think beyond that, like you're worried about the customer and what they're doing, but you're taking money out of your technician's pocket and you're living a life where you're hating it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, when's it going to end? You're working 15 hours a day, five days a week, and you're not paying the bills and you're dude, that that's the norm. That's the norm of the shop owner out there, of the mm-hmm. small business shop owner out there. It shouldn't be like that. No. I think it's that. And then I think uh, trying to skirt that is production, production, production. If the productivity isn't well, well over 100%, it's that lack of production that's preventing the shop and the owner and everyone from making money. I don't know. When I see some of these posts out there where, where you'll hear... Uh, somebody in a management position complaining about their independent shop. That's not at a hundred percent. And what am I going to do about this tech and this, that, and the other thing I'm like, freaking don't come by my place. Freaking a real solid week across the board for our entire organization. It'd be 70 ish percent. If you're in a situation where 70% isn't paying the bills, there's probably something going on where it's just not, like something, something's not right. You're not charging enough. You're not making your margin on parts. 
You know, now I'm not saying you should be able to run at 25% and be able to pay all your bills. There's got to be like this whole flat rate manual as the Bible of which, how long cars are going to take to get fixed. Like our shop, I said on a real good week, probably on an average week runs at 70 ish percent. We do just fine. There's all sorts of money for training. There's all sorts of money for new tooling. I don't know how many stupid tools my boss is going to let me buy with his credit card before he's finally like... Brian, I think it's awesome. Your boss gives you that kind of freedom. You have a really good setup where you are. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't, I don't yeah, know I your a, boss. I have a stack of hotel boxes that are 10 feet high off the top of my toolbox. I mean, it's... Dude, it's if your like, boss decides to listen, props to him, man, for the way he's taking care of you. Like, he's he doing it right... I just see it from the outside. Do you know what I mean? And I, I just think it's awesome. So I don't know your boss, but if he listens, yeah. Yeah. He's Props to you, man. For Take sure. care of Brian and give him a raise too, man, because he, <laughs> he, like he is the man. Give you him have a raise no idea for all that scanner Danner filming he's doing on the clock. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm serious. Like you, you need to take care of a technician like Brian. He, you just he does. Do. He you does. do. I'm, and I know that. I'm, and I see that. Yeah. It's awesome. But he, he charges, you know, like he charges for time. Good. He should into be. stuff. You know what I mean? And it's, we need to drop yeah. this time shit, man. I'm tired of it. Like time, the value time. of repair, freaking time. The what value. are you talking about? What other industry do we talk about time? I don't, call my HVAC guy over here and I have a problem and I'm like, well, what's the labor time? No, what's the labor for this job? You love, you love my boss. He, he's just, uh, he just uh, told one of the service writers today, quit mentioning the amount of hours to the customer on the phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Time. It's not <laughs> about that, man. Tell her she's going to have 150 bucks into it. She don't know how many hours and this, like, you know, that's useless information. <laughs> well, you're giving them a barometer. Exactly. Yeah. I had a guy share with me today uh, some Canadian like news organization that went to some shop like Sting operation. Oh and gosh. A minute into this thing, they're talking about the guy getting the charging an hour and a half for a break job and getting it done in 30 minutes. And they're talking about what a ripoff artist this guy was. I clicked it off. I'm done. I'm not watching I, this. This is bullshit. It doesn't like what are we talking about? Time. Like that time shouldn't even been there. That news report. Porter wouldn't even have been there if you would have quoted a time for that front break job. Totally onto the value of the job now. You know what I mean? Like it's not right. It's it's not right the way we the time. The time it used is to be relevant. maybe back in the day when mom and pop could change their own oil in their driveway. And I caught some heat recently. I was talking about a job in some group that I did, and you know our our build diagnostic rate or whatever. Like it came out like it, it was a headache car. It was like a Mazda that some shop said it needs a transmission and they they spread a bunch of terminals front probing it and i was in there for a couple hours and you know when you figure it out we charged basically like 380 dollars an hour to fix this car i freaking get 380 dollars an hour putting freaking control arms in like what's what's the problem bro you know what i'm saying yeah like what's the problem if you had only this much time into it and blah, 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 and even your margin on this pigtail and blah, you know, it's $380 an hour and that's a ripoff. I'm like, $380 an hour? I'm like, I shipped them out of there for $1,400. bucks. The other place told him he needed a $3,800 transmission job that he didn't need. Exactly. They didn't do any testing. <laughs> like, exactly. All they did was cram multimeter probes. Can I, can I share it? Of a connector. 
listen, real on that subject, the the one of the worst ones that I've had, and I think I shared this. It was a while ago, but I had, and Brian, you helped me with this. My transfer pump on my RV. Oh, right. The the algae in the inlet. I remember that to the A3 Cummins diesel. Right. Mm -hmm. And I went on Google and I was searching this code and what people were doing time after time, post after post after post. People were replacing $10,000 high pressure pumps for this problem. And it was not the problem. $10,000 to put a freaking air nozzle and brake clean into a into a port into a where there was a screen to mm-hmm. get rid of the algae on this particular portion that was restricting the low pressure input, setting false codes. That's setting my false claim codes, to fame. False codes, knowing how to go through it. My claim right? to fame was fixing you know Skinner Danner's RV. Open that, is worth, that is worth, <laughs> that is listen, like, that's worth $1,500 all day long. Absolutely. You know how many hours of research I had in learning that system so I could make that call? And do you right. know, getting on the phone with you and you helping me was part of that process. Mm-hmm. I should be paid for that. And in a shop environment, if I'm a customer and I understand what everyone else has been through and I'm on vacation with my family and you fixed my RV for 1500 bucks, yeah, are you kidding me? And you're a happy camper. And I'm a happy camper as a customer, and the uh, garage owner's a happy camper too. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. That's what's out there. That's what we're facing. Yeah. 10 grand. There's, there's value to that work. There's no arguing it. There's value to saving somebody yeah. $95 or $9,000 or whatever the number is, right? There's huge value to that. Huge. Huge. You just value. saved that vacation. Absolutely. And you're you're worried about research. Oh, I don't know the system because I got to research it and the technician's got to research it. That's what I needed to do to fix your problem for 1500 bucks. I needed to research it because I don't have to research an 8.3 Cummins every day. And I'm not going to research it on my own until I see one. So I want to be paid for it. Yeah, And and I should be paid for it. Yeah. And the stuff changes rapidly enough that it's fairly unreasonable to be able to be on top of everything all the time. It's not reasonable. I think Paul's RV brings up a interesting aspect, especially with that system, that system, that caps fuel pump operates so different than 95%. Like, you know, there's, there's HEUI diesels, there's uh, regular injection pump diesels, um, there's common rail diesels and that covers like a lot of your diesels. And then there's this stupid cap system with the accumulator piston and stuff like that. You know, like how do you, how do you, uh, that cap system would never be part of somebody's normal training unless they literally work for Cummins. Listen, man, it's a great example of what we face every single day. Yeah, especially in the aftermarket, you're seeing things you've never seen before. Absolutely. And and so you have to spend that time researching. Otherwise, you're just throwing parts at the car. And just like, why are we talking about diagnostic charges? Right. People just don't get it. They don't get it. They don't understand. You pl- you plug your you know magic machine and it'll tell you what's <laughs> wrong. And then we got Scotty Kilmer out there freaking telling <laughs> people all this, you know, like mechanics are thieves and you know you he's got five million viewers 
Yeah. Like he's even from our field. And we're trying to elevate this. And you got this guy spewing crap that everybody believes. Like the, yeah, right? the masses believe that we are thieves. We're thieves and cars are easy to fix. It's horrible. That's what they believe. We're thieves and cars are easy to fix. We do some parking lot scans to tell the customer the urgency of their situation. We certainly don't diagnose cars in the parking lot, but there's certainly a big difference between a misfire code and an EVAP small leak as far as urgency for engine damage and stuff. So we do some parking lot scans. And the reason I'm kind of not allowed to do them anymore is because when they want to know what the machine says, before I even turn it on, I will hand it to them. And I will point out that they can't even get the thing turned on, much less. One guy said to me, well, what, what do I do next? I go, I don't know. You're, you're the one that said the machine would tell you what's wrong. <laughs> you tell me what we're doing next, you know. I have the service advisors do those. They have their, their own scan tool just to pull a health report. They'll hand it to the customer and uh, for a small fee. And the customer might ask them for advice. And they're like, I, we're not techs. I can schedule you. We were using small scan tools, but some of these small scan tools, um, have you ever had one like set a bunch of codes the car didn't have when it showed up there? So yeah, the now, X tool, like X tool uh, D, what is it? D7, yeah. D8. They, you, they keep you, advertising to me. Yeah. P606, like module, internal processor, fault codes and everything else. So now, now we just have them go out there with a snap on modus. I go, just take this. It won't screw the car up. Yeah, I think uh, I got the service advisor's top-done Phoenix 2s, I think. I want the Phoenix 2 light. I want it. Top-done, if you're listening, send me one. But like a lot of the stuff you're talking about to me, just I, I know it's an economics term. I know I've used it many times, but it just really, to me, boils down to credence good. We are a credence good service provider, meaning as the service provider, we know better the value we're providing the client than they can possibly know. And we're not alone in that, but that affects us greatly. And we have, I think we have to learn to approach it that way. It's on us to explain to them to whatever you want to call it, educate, prove, you know, whatever words we want to use to justify charging them what we need to charge them to do the stuff we're talking about doing, which is not only taking care of compensation of the, uh, uh, workers, the techs and employees, but also keep upgrading the facility. Whatever it is, if we're all getting weaker, I don't know. You're competing against these other entities that do a lot of other things with work culture, work environment that we haven't done ever. You should see some of the stuff out there. My my wife recently had an interview to do maintenance on little robots that at a greenhouse that farms Korean strawberries. When they were describing the expectations of the job, the work culture was so, we are so stone age. It is unbelievable. They're like, yeah, we, uh, you know, there's some data entry involved. So we have a flex schedule and, you know, so if you can't make it one day, that's fine. Yeah, you don't work a whole day Friday. You just work a half day from home. And you, you know what I mean? Like, like she's like showing me this thing they sent her. And I'm like, how the freak does this place make any money if people can come and go as they please? But that's that's what we're up against. It is what we're up against. That's a good point, man. The, how many other industries are paying like what we're paying our technicians? It's ridiculous for what we're talking about. The diagnostic guy. It's a different breed. 
They need to be paid. A lot of those entities, which are, you know, maybe a little more on the creative end of things, you know, software, apps, Google, stuff like that. But there's documents after documents after documents that these companies took Fridays and made it optional. And then they'd have days dedicated per, uh, probably per month, where you came to work and you were clocked in. There was no assigned work. That was a day to come up with an idea collaborate with somebody else, get a group together or yourself and work on a side project. The stuff that came out of that, it ends up being lucrative. And I'm not saying a lot of this translates directly to auto repair. There's little stuff where, you know, you're taking a service advisors aside and saying, Hey, don't tell anybody. Don't schedule anything for Friday. You know, don't tell anybody, but don't leave a three hour window for lunch. If you're paying flat rate and some type of incentive, then it needs to be their average for the past six weeks for that day. You know, it gets into stuff that's hard to measure, but I think in short order, you would see the the ROI. It, it would be overwhelming. And it'd be, a lot of it too is maybe it won't see like the number, but that tech, you know, he's good. You know, she's good. They're getting the offers from other places. And they maybe they go interview because that's that's smart, right? Go interview, see what the other places have to offer, see where you're at. Okay, maybe it's a couple bucks more an hour. But during that interview process, there's never the shop never buys lunch. Or they don't do a regular, you know, Friday the boss runs down and grabs uh whatever for the grill and, and it's a big grill out, or they don't close the shop down early on a Friday uh to go go-kart racing, or they don't Closed down for you know the season opener for uh, baseball or I, I don't stuff like that and, and all of a sudden it's kind of like but I enjoy that stuff and, and I feel like they care about me and I for me you know like uh, when Danielle was sick my wife was sick needed to miss work to be with her at the hospital there was no question that there was no flack from the shop there's nobody kind of uh, giving me any kind of static it was go be with her. And if I popped in to see what was going on, it's like, what are you doing? You should, shouldn't you be up there with her? It's nice of you to stop in, but it's all handled. We, we just pushed, pushed things off. Customers are super understanding. They wish the best. And that stuff means a lot. A good shop's going to have that, Matt. That's a testament to you. I meant when I said, when you're, you're looking for a employee, like in another life, I, I'd absolutely love to work next to you. Do you know what I mean? It's a culture you've created. Well, yeah, you can show me how to work on cars and how to fix them and fix them right the first time. What you do, though, with your customers and the way that they treated that, it's just a testament to your shop. You know what I mean? Like, if anybody's looking for a spot, and I don't know who's going to listen to this, but you'd be a fool to not go look at Riverside Auto. And you're in um, Minnesota. In the frozen tundra. Minnesota. I think that there's a lot of people that are apprehensive that that culture will work, right? So our shop, my boss and I, we worked for a chain store, both of us, before we we opened this place, right? We started on the dirt floor at his cousin's farm in a pole barn. This is um, you, you and your boss? Yep. We started, yep. He quit. Him and I both quit you our did, jobs in July of, of 2010 because we had a building. You, yep. We had a building, but dirt uh, floor. Dirt, yeah, dirt. Everybody floor. should be listening right now. Pay attention. Dirt floor, 
All we did was work on cars and figure out the next fantasy place we could go to lunch at. That's all we did. <laughs> How long you been with this guy? August 3rd, 2010 was our first day in our actual building that had a concrete floor and one lift. Yeah, 13 years. We started on the dirt floor July of 2010. We used to call it forever. We call it fantasy lunch. For years, until it moved to multiple locations, he bought lunch five days a week. Until we got to the point where it was multiple locations, five days a week. Yeah, you know, he probably still buys five meals a week. Sometimes it's lunch, sometimes it's breakfast. Sometimes it's lunch and breakfast in the same day. We go on, we call them field trips where we shut down at lunchtime and we all hop in cars. Or Typically, at least once or twice a year when we've had more snow, he has a fleet of snowmobiles. I think he's got 22 sleds in the barn. We'll all hop on I mean, snowmobiles and go ride. We'll go work with Brian. Matt, I changed my mind. I'm, I'm <laughs> north. Yeah. <laughs> you want to swing? Well, I, wait, that's the wrong direction. Maybe I'll I'll swing by and pick you up, and then we'll head up. So people will say that, well, this is, the, you know, well, you can't be giving away that much time and this, that, and the other thing, you know, taking this these hours off, buying all this lunch and everything. Uh, we have three buildings with, like, 20 people working now in 13 years. We don't use the F word. We don't have flat rate. Uh, we don't have hourly with incentive. Everybody is paid straight hourly. You show up sounds to like, work and you're sounds getting like you guys got a winning formula there, whatever it may be. Yeah. The so. formula is like, try to be nice to people and buy a lot of food for the guys. That's what oh, yeah. the formula is, <laughs> yeah. you know, especially when you're what? Six foot five and freaking state wrestling champ, Brian yeah. Pollock. Did you know he was a state wrestling champ, Matt? I, I just assumed. Do you know when I realized it was um, at um, this last training event, we were going down this hill full of pine needles and like you were going to wipe it. Like if you try to stop, if you put the brakes on, you're going to fall yeah. flat on your back. Yeah, there was a road That's at slippery. the bottom of this steep hill that all the skinny guys walk now. Yeah. yeah, I watched Brian going way too fast on this hill. I'm like, he's he's done. I'm going to the I thought I was he going to the hospital, so I had to grab a tree. He grabbed this tree, this pine tree, tore his arms to shreds, his forearms. I swung around like, it. He totally stopped himself. It was I, like I, I was, was pole too, dancing. I was impressed, tree. man. I, you, you do not see a big guy like that size doing that kind of maneuver. Like You just don't see it. I, 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 wish, I wish I had the camera on him for that. I, it could have been like a really good like YouTube short, man. There were multiple YouTubers that actually watched it, but nobody had their camera out there yeah. just staring at me with their mouth open. Yeah, I was impressed. Really. Like, Holy crap. What the heck? I didn't know the refrigerator could pull down. No, yeah, if you've seen Brian, he's a big guy. <laughs> he's a big guy. Do you know, I think, I, did I share this? I don't know. I may have. My interaction with Brian, the first time I met him, it was with Matthew Scundred. So we had a mutual friend. We're at a training event. I just wanted to get coffee on the other side of the room, and I couldn't get through the room without, you know, people stopping me. I had Brian run interference for me. That that was my first meeting with Brian. So he's a big yeah. guy. That's I fit I fit you and Matthew behind me, which Matthew's not. That's not tricky to fit him behind me. <laughs> yeah, I can see the state wrestling champ in you, Brian, on that yeah. on that maneuver. Absolutely. I, uh, that was many years ago. Yeah, I, I showed up to the first day of wrestling and I didn't see any ring posts and ropes. And yeah, this was like Greco Roman wrestling. I hate to use the word real, but I think I'm going to have to use it. It was real. Rulon Gardner. Wasn't he a big time uh, Greco Roman wrestler? He was. I think he won the Olympics. 
my high school wrestling coach coached an Olympic champion, Lou Roselli. Lou Roselli grew up about mm, 15 minutes from my house. I was very fortunate to uh, have that connection uh, with that coach. He was a really awesome human being. So, All right. Well, thank you, sirs, for joining me, talking about all manner of things, but specifically the plight of the master tech. And then uh, it sounds like we're going to have to do another one on tools and equipment. Yeah, that and staying the heck off the snap-on truck. We could tie that out together. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys coming on. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Appreciate everyone listening and uh, really appreciate our sponsor, Napa Auto Tech Training. And uh, if you have any comments about the show, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I got many ways to reach me. Email me at mattfonslapodcast at gmail.com or via social media. Thank you to the Remarkable Results Radio Podcast and to Tracy, who is going to earn it (laughs) editing this. Work your magic, Tracy. She'll slim it up to 48 minutes, I'm guessing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So until next time, everyone, take off. eh? You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.